Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here with the founder of BrewHoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden, for today's episode that is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code Locked On, and you'll get ten dollars off your first order. And Frank, obviously, we're going to talk about the Bucks. They went down to the Grizzlies, one nineteen to one oh six. It was clearly a pretty important win for Taylor Jenkins and the Grizz. They locked up their spot in the postseason, but. I'm a little fired up right now because we just minutes ago finished watching the Blazers get over the top of Brooklyn and lock in their place in the plane as well. So they'll take the Grizzlies. Obviously, that's out west. That doesn't have a lot to do with the Bucks, But we've been talking about watching this Bucks basketball for a while. And what does it actually mean for Milwaukee? Everyone has to get through healthy. But what are we taking away from this? Uh, that was the first super high-stakes game that we've seen in the bubble. And the ending was tense. I was stressed watching this game and I had no emotional investment, but I am excited to see the Blazers potentially get a shot at the Lakers in the first round. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Memphis has been a great story this year, but I mean, you know, come on. I mean, <laughs> like, especially about Jaron Jackson and, um, you know, they win today, but obviously against the Bucks, that uh, team that, uh, let's just say without Giannis and, I don't know. I mean, we can talk about the boxing or this, but I don't find Memphis to be a particularly compelling playoff first round opponent at this point. Um, I think they're a really fun team kind of for the future, but I think, uh, you know, as somebody obviously who's, you know, not rooting for the, <laughs> not rooting for the Lakers. Um, I, I think it would be fun to see Dame uh, and the Blazers make it into that eight spot and get the Lakers in the first round, especially given just how the two teams are, you know, have been playing of late, uh, it would, you know, be a really interesting matchup. Um, I mean, I think, I, I mean, I feel like the, the Blazers have a puncher's chance in that series. Absolutely. I mean, maybe even better than a puncher's chance, just given kind of where the Lakers have been. And, you know, you just kind of look at the top of the roster. I mean, obviously LeBron and AD are great, but, um, you know, Blazers have Dame who, there is a world in which Dame could be the best player in a, in a seven game series with LeBron and AD. I I wouldn't necessarily say I would expect that, but it's at least possible. And then obviously with uh, the Blazers getting their big guys back, you know, it becomes a much more interesting matchup. So, uh, so yeah, I think that would, that would be definitely a fun, fun thing to see. And uh, you know, shout out to the Suns uh, for having a great bubble. (laughs) I mean, finishing eight and no is just hilarious. Um, and uh, I forget if we were talking about this or who I was talking about this, but, um, you know, I'll, I'll definitely take the under on, on Phoenix next year. I'm sure people are going to get really fired up about them um, having like this breakthrough season. So uh, we'll see. I mean, obviously give them a lot of credit, but, um, you know, end, end of season stretches are always like weird and people tend to, I think, overreact to them, especially with young teams that aren't in the playoffs, but maybe play well. I mean, like, like the Wolves, were in that camp a few years ago. The, remember when the Heat were like, 
I think they were 10 and 31 in the first half of the season. They were 31 and 10 in the second half of the season. Mm-hmm. And they just missed the playoffs. And it was like, oh, Miami coming back. And it was like, yeah, that team just wasn't really that talented. It was like the Deion Waiters team, you know? Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Things are weird. And obviously the bubble is even weirder. So, um, Bucks losing today, uh, I don't I don't know what to make of it, you know, especially obviously given the relative incentives of the two teams. But, um, you know, I think we're all probably at this point pretty happy to close the book on the bubble and look forward to the start of uh, the playoffs. I'll be, I'll be it when I saw the, the schedule with the magic um, three, what three noon central time games out of four, the first four, uh, two of them on weekdays. It's like, Oh God, you know, <laughs> that's, this is the downside of the bubble is some of the schedule. I mean, I don't mind like day games on a weekend, but um, it's, uh, I don't know. It, it definitely takes maybe a little of the edge off and, I'm I'm not even coming at it from your perspective, given that these games are what going to be at three in the morning in Australia, <laughs> something insane like that. So that's that's uh, I, I I feel for you, buddy. Yeah, it's the worst possible schedule for me, and I didn't actually really take this into account because I, I guess I thought once the playoffs rolled around that they might just figure it out, figure it out, and maybe there'll be an NBA TV game. But I, I guess I didn't factor into that they're only. I think they're only using two of the arenas as well, which is kind of strange. Uh, the only thing I'll say, so I'll, I'll just walk through it here. So game one against Orlando, Tuesday afternoon at 12.30. Then they've got a Thursday 5 p.m. game, which is about as good as it gets for the Bucks as far as uh, the day workers out there that uh, you know potentially going to miss playoff games, which is obviously very annoying. Uh, game three is on Saturday at noon again. And then Monday, game four at 12.30 again. So yeah, three of the games at noon central time is clearly not ideal, particularly two of those during a work day. It's going to make it really difficult for the fans. There's no doubt about that. If I had to look at all the matchups, though, without question, the Bucks and the Magic is the one that if you are at the NBA and, and regardless of where the Bucks finished in the standings, regardless of all those factors, if you're trying to cash in on ratings and it's in a season that you've lost a bunch of money and you want to get as many eyeballs as possible and, and whatever that means for the league, I, I don't know. But... Yeah, I mean, Bucks Magic is going to be at the bottom of the pile, right? I mean, that's, that's it's fair to say that this series probably has a lower appeal to everyone else than any other one. Well, I, I mean, I would probably put Nets Raptors even ahead of that, just because the combination of you know Canadian team without an MVP mm-hmm. um, going against a Nets team that obviously, I mean, yeah, great, great job, great effort tonight. Karis Levert looked great, but um, obviously that team without the guys they're missing due to injury. Um, you know, they're, they're pretty much on that like Orlando level, right. Of, of kind of, yeah, well, they, they should, they, they could absolutely take a game off the Raptors. I mean, the Bucks could, could absolutely lose, you know, a game or who knows, maybe even two to the magic given how things are going. Um, but uh, certainly both those teams. Yeah. I mean, not, yeah, we always knew the seven, eight seeds in the East were going to be the, the soft underbelly of the playoff teams. And uh, certainly nothing we've seen here changes that. Although obviously Brooklyn. I mean, as we've seen all year, and as the Bucks saw themselves um, in the bubble, you know that's a team that they play fast. They get up and down the court. They shoot a bunch of threes. There's always like that kind of variance play that comes with them. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, we'll just have to kind of grin and bear it to get through this first round. It it seemed like um, you know Giannis. Uh, I think was seven out of eight in that Nets game, which was a really early start, um, and. Uh, he obviously played very well in the in the Miami game, which I think was a three o'clock start. So it seems like no nap Giannis is <laughs> doing uh, much better in the bubble than maybe 
he previously has done. But um, yeah, obviously it's it's going to be weird, I'm sure, for the players to be playing these games, you know, repeatedly at noon. Um, but again, everything's weird, so um, maybe it's not as big a deal right now. Yeah, I think Bucks fans at this point, and I, I actually don't think anyone took today's game seriously, which would make some sense given the circumstances. But I think Bucks fans are at the point where, because the play has, and admittedly by all parties, even Bud said today, the Bucks aren't where they would want to be in terms of, um, you know, chemistry defensively, connectiveness on on the offensive end as well. You can talk yourself into things that you'll get a little anxious about, and definitely. Uh, I saw a lot on Twitter about the early starts being a, a factor for this game, but we'll we'll dive into the Magic series certainly early next week. We've got a couple of days to do so, and I know there's definitely going to be a, a crossover episode with the guys over at Locked On Magic. So we're going to talk a lot more about the Magic specifically and what we expect for that series. I think ultimately, if you're a Bucks fan, this is still a series that, uh, at worst case, is five games, and I don't think that you can start the game at at 3 a.m. You can start the game when I'm watching it here in Australia and you still, it shouldn't factor into what we're going to see in this series. Bud said after the game today that ultimately the biggest thing that he's happy about and the thing that he's most relieved about is that all 16 players are going to be healthy for game one. And that was the, the objective. And above everything else that could have happened in the bubble, as long as you get to game one of the playoffs healthy, then that's the most important thing. All right, Frank, we are excited about the NBA playoffs coming back, but we are also very excited about our show sponsor today because Built Bar has relaunched and they're back better than ever. Deliciouser, I'm seeing right here. I don't know what that means, but there's 16 amazing flavors. They have six new flavors that include caramel brownie, cookies and cream, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, apple almond crisp, plus the 12 original flavors that they already had. Built Bars are great for the health-conscious guy. You know that. You've heard me tell you that before. Lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat because the bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber. They're great for keto diet, for those that are on the keto diet. And uh, as always, we've got a great offer for you. And if you take advantage of this offer, I'm here to tell you that there is a free cooler on offer with purchase while supplies last. So don't mess around. Do not mess around getting in your orders of Built Bar. This is only going to last for a week or so. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your next order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Don't mess around. Go grab that cooler. Today's game, though, uh, they never led. So the Grizzlies were uh, leaders from start to finish. And probably you could tell whether it was the Fox Sports Wisconsin broadcast you were listening to, whether you were following along with Bucks fans on Twitter. The biggest point of emphasis and the biggest point of interest for everyone was Chris Milton, and he needed to shoot above 50% to get to the 50-40-90 club. He finished 5 for 13 from the field, 14 points. He definitely looked like at times he was looking for high percentage shots more than he normally would. He wasn't really letting it fly from the outside. And I saw a little bit of criticism about that on Twitter. And I straight away thought, come on, where's the criticism when Giannis is out there triple-double hunting his ass off that we've seen from over and over and over again, even though he, he says that he has no clue how many assists he have, but just uh, miraculously decides to pass out to the corners 10 possessions in a row. I don't see the same criticism there. So I thought it was understandable. But uh, he might have just uh, mentally 
talked himself out of this one, I felt. It looked like he was uh, was thinking about it, no doubt, and it would have been a pretty good achievement. He finishes with shooting splits of 49.7, 41.5, and 91.6. Yeah, I mean, the weird thing for Chris is, I mean, you know, if you're Giannis, then you just cut out jumpers, right? And you just yeah. do kind of your layups, and you, you get a lot of those shots. So, you you know, it would be very – I mean, granted, okay, Giannis obviously shoots a higher field goal percentage regardless game-to-game than Chris anyway, but – um, but it's a little easier for him versus Chris. I mean, his game is predicated on shooting jump shots. and He's obviously a terrific mid-range shooter. So it's almost like, you know, oh, Chris, if you want to, you know, get to 50, 40, 90, only take contested mid-range jump shots. <laughs> like it's kind of, a, it's like how you do it is, is a little bit kind of strange just given the way he typically shoots. Um, it did seem like he was not looking for three-point shots, like hunting kind of those pull-up threes that maybe sometimes he would take, um, which, you know, if you're trying to, uh, increase your field goal percentage is probably the way you do it. But, um, you know, the first shot he took was a pretty contested mid-ranger. He ended up taking, a, you know, a number of contested mid-range shots. And, um, you know, it it was what it was. I, I mean, after the first game of the bubble, he came in one shot under 50%. Uh, he goes six out of 20 in the first game against Boston, even though I think he played pretty well in that game overall. The passing has been very good all bubble. Um so it's kind of remarkable that he even had a, ended up having a chance of it at it um, here in the in the final game. But um, you know, either way, it's just a random number. Field goal percentage is kind of a stupid number anyway at this point. To kind of you know mash two pointers and three pointers together is kind of arbitrary and kind of a relic of of the past. So um, for him to to have this season where he obviously uh, got back to being a really high three point percentage shooter. Uh, and to be, you know, shooting career best numbers on twos and just being lights out from mid range. I mean, you know, you can't really take anything away from it regardless of whether the, the statistical milestone was was reached or not. So, um, yeah, shout out to Chris again. You know, would have been cool to have that statistical milestone. Um, we, I think, we were talking about it. Uh, we have talked about it in the past, but uh, I guess we didn't talk about it because we didn't have the final numbers the other night. But um, Giannis did end up with the the highest PER player efficiency rating in NBA history, surpassing 62-63 Wilt Chamberlain, which is pretty cool, um, especially given that uh, PER doesn't, you know, is sort of notorious for not really factoring in defense appropriately because of the, kind of the fact that, you know, the counting stats they use for PER uh, box score stats don't really capture defense necessarily, so, or, or as well as it should. So, um, you know, We'll, we'll have lots of chance to talk about how amazing Giannis' season has been, but um, that's at least one kind of cool statistical footnote on the season. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't – again, the no no big takeaways from this game. As you're right, Chris and, uh, and his sort of stat hunting was probably the most talked about thing. But um, Brooke Lopez, not a great shooting game, but another 19 points from him. And Dante DiVincenzo actually mm-hmm. uh, saw the ball go through the basket a fair bit. Uh, which was encouraging to see given his struggles. And, um, you know, I think that's probably, again, I mean, we've been sort of hoping to see the role players start to um, find maybe a little bit more rhythm here in these last few games, uh, given that Giannis, Chris, and Brooke have been great. And it's really been kind of everybody else who has been struggling. Um, so still a little bit of a mixed bag. You know, Dante plays well today. Eric Bledsoe, very not great today. One out of eight from the field. Um, felt like he was coming around a little bit, uh, but, uh, yeah, unfortunately, I mean, he looks like he's in, uh, you know, conference finals form right now, uh, which is obviously not great news given his past. 
So hopefully it's just a matter of getting some more reps, getting some more rhythm, and you know, hopefully he can start to to look a bit better. Um, ironic that the only shot he made today was like a contested step back long two at the first quarter buzzer. Um, you know, he's he's just not he's not finishing well. You know, I mean, we always talk about his, his jump shooting, but um, he just feels like he's missing a lot of layups too right now. It doesn't, doesn't necessarily seem like he doesn't have any burst or something like that. So, I mean, so he still looks pretty explosive, but um, just obviously not right there. Not not kind of coming together right now for blood. And so, obviously, he's a guy that uh, you hope the hopefully you know again knowing with two presumptions hopefully having a uh you know a first round series where your margin of error is a little bit bigger than maybe some other teams have in their series hopefully that gives him a chance to uh you know find his legs a little bit in the first round although he'll be doing it against you know slayer of worlds slash eric name's favorite player dj augustine so obviously you can't can't sleep on that yeah, DiVincenzo was interesting to me. I think he was the guy coming into this game that I was like, okay, what am I actually looking for from this game? Can we see something positive from him? Because to be fair, there hasn't been a lot uh, to this point. He hit three for five from three, but I thought it was even more important that he was four for eight from two because you know he's, some of his finishing at the rim in the bubble has been absolutely brutal. He's got to his spots and he hasn't been able to finish off, which is kind of going back... To the old Dante, he really, I thought, improved throughout the season with his finishing at the rim. Unfortunately, uh, four assists were accompanied by five turnovers again. So turnovers have been a big problem for him. It'll be interesting to see if he can turn that around. Uh, The only other thing that was interesting to me, Marvin Williams only played nine minutes. So everyone else played a lot. I I didn't get uh, to, to ask another question in the press conference. I wanted to ask Bart about this. There was a particular play where Marvin Williams went down and he looked like he was hobbling a little bit. But it's a little bit difficult to tell with Marvin because he's kind of got like an old man running style. He sort of like just shuffles up and down the floor. So I couldn't tell whether he was really hobbling or not. But he didn't come back on after that. After that play, he ran to the, to the, front, uh, to the offensive end. And he actually finished a really tough floater over Valentunas. So I thought, oh, maybe he's fine. But the fact he only played nine minutes is noteworthy. Bud did say everyone was healthy at the end of the game. But uh, something to monitor, as we know. Uh, we have a significant bit of time here before uh, game one comes around. But Brooke Lopez, again, 19 points. And I, I tweeted some of these numbers out, but just for... This is this is the kind of stuff that if you're a Bucks fan, makes you feel just a little bit better when you look at some of these numbers. Now, the defensive numbers sort of blew out a little bit today. It wasn't a great defensive game by any stretch uh, for the Bucks. But uh, Brooke Lopez on court in his seven games... Uh, offensive rating of 114.5, defensive rating of 105.7. So before this game, that was actually around 100, which was uh, you know, the regular season mark that the Bucks have had. So defensively, they've been very good with Brooke Lopez on the floor. And in 80 minutes that Giannis and Brooke have been on the floor together, they have a defensive rating of 90 and a net rating of plus 31 with Giannis and Brooke on the floor. So we've spoke about this a little bit in the pod that they have looked good when they've had the starters on the floor. Obviously, Wesley Matthews didn't play today either, but it's nice to look at those numbers and just get a little reminder that when we're talking about what they've been trying to achieve down here in the seeding games, their starters haven't actually played a lot together, but when they have, the results have been pretty good. It's not all doom and gloom. Just a quick reminder now for you, Frank, and the listeners about Axios. Start your morning with the news that matters in just 10 minutes. Axios today hosts Nyla Boodoo and a team of award-winning journalists will bring you the latest analysis and insight into the trend shaping our world. 
Yeah, and that gets back to kind of what we were talking about with the role players versus kind of top end guys. I mean, I think um, you know, lineup data on on kind of the the, the again, Giannis and, and Chris and then those guys um has not kind of been where, you know, the red flags have really come so much as um when the Bucks have gone with bench units. So um, you know, uh, again, I mean bright side, well, playoffs are obviously typically much more about your top end guys rather than uh, you know, how deep you are. Um, we'll see, but obviously historically has, you know, not leaned as nearly as hard on his, his main guys, even in the playoffs, uh, as maybe other coaches have. Um, I think, I think Giannis was what it was. Giannis, was he at 38 minutes a game in the Raptors series? I, th- I think he might've gotten that's right, to, yeah. to that number. Um, so again, obviously that, that may be even more important this year, you know, just based on, uh, maybe some of the shakiness that we've seen uh, of late from, from the bench units. I mean, um, you know, like it just, I, I mean, just kind of thinking off the top of my head, I mean, like, you know, who do you want to see night to night? Uh, I mean, at this point, obviously you've got the starting five and then, you know, I think the only, the only guarantees, um, you know, night to night uh, are probably at this point, uh, George Hill, Dante, Pat, uh, Marvin and Robin Lopez. I think those are your 10 guys. Um, and you know, everybody else, uh, you know, Sterling, obviously good night against Washington. Um, you know, maybe showed a little signs of life here towards the end, but I think generally obviously disappointing season from him and, you know, probably more downs than ups, uh, in the bubble, uh, DJ. I mean, we actually saw DJ play a bit, but, um, I, again, I don't think we've seen any anywhere close to enough from DJ, to, to think that, you know, he, he should be getting minutes, especially with Marvin uh, now being available. And, you know, Urson, Urson can't even take a charge anymore. Like, I don't even, he doesn't even seem to be like in the vicinity to even try to take charge charges anymore. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, and you kind of just kind of go, go down the line from there. And, and, you know, Robin, well, I think you, you know, Robin's sort of at the point where I think you'll see Robin every first half, but, um, you know, depending on the opponent in the playoffs, I mean, you know, teams that go small might really kind of play Robin out of a, out of a role, right? Because obviously Brooke has been great. And as you kind of pointed out, I mean, even against small lineups, they've been able to keep Brooke out there and stay productive, but that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that you're going to do the same thing with Robin. I think that's where, you know, you're going to see those small lineups will become at uh, come at Robin's expense. So, um, you know, I think you have a pretty good sense of who's probably going to be playing now that the games are going to matter. Um, and, you know, I think we saw some signs of life from George Hill. We saw some very late signs of life here from Dante in this last game. I think Pat's actually been surprisingly kind of, I mean, his shooting has been surprisingly good, especially for a guy that was coming off of, uh, you know, a coronavirus quarantine. Um, and then, uh, you know, obviously Marvin, I think, you know, has been solid, you know, and I think his, his work rate, you know, the defensive versatility, obviously. So, um, We'll see. I mean, again, you, you hope obviously that that magic series gives them a chance to kind of fine tune and, and get to the point where they're ready to go for, uh, for whatever comes after that. And um, I guess what, what's the update on the, I'm just going to bring up the, the seedings quick. So we've got uh, Toronto, basically second round matchup would be Toronto and Boston in the other side of the bracket. And then uh, the bucks would be, you know, if they presumably if they win their first round series, the winner of the Heat and the Pacers uh, would be would be who they match up with next. And obviously, you know, 
you might give Indiana a better chance there or, or a pretty decent chance if, if Sabonis is healthy, but you know, interesting with both teams at 44 and 28. Um, I, man, I, I just, I don't really like the Pacers odds without Sabonis. And uh, especially given that, you know, TJ Warren is like now an all-star except when he plays Jimmy Butler, I guess, who still seems to be able to put him in his pocket uh, based on what we saw on other day. So um, yeah. Uh, let's, let's bring on the playoffs. Uh, we, we can't escape the bubble, but at least we can escape the bubble regular season, which was, weird and hopefully not a uh, uh an omen of what's to come so i'm calling the blazers are in the playoffs so we, you just went through some of the east matchups uh you know and beat again by the way it looks like he hurt his wrist or something yesterday i mean that guy just he's made a glass he, he cannot uh survive a, a long postseason run without ben simmons but uh out west so i, I the grizzlies aren't beating the blazers twice so i'm assuming that the, the portland are in so lakers portland clippers mavericks Nuggets, Jazz, Thunder, Rockets. I mean, geez, this is some serious matchups out West. The only other thing I want to bring up as far as the Bucks are concerned before we wrap this up, I want to throw something at you. And I reckon you kind of just hinted at it. Out of all the guys that the Bucks do have in the second unit, and I was thinking about this today, because a lot of them you are relying, there's no shot creation there. You're relying on three-point shooting and you're hoping that guys like Pat continue their hot shooting. So how much of a concern is it for the Bucks the fact that they don't have a scorer off the bench? Because pretty much all contenders have a guy that can come off the bench and get you 20 points in a night. And maybe George Hill can, and maybe Pat Connaughton can, but you never expect that it's going to happen. And that is the clear difference for mine from the Bucks from some of these other teams. They rely on defense and, and uh, team play and mixing these lineups more than having a Lou Williams or having a... Uh, who, who else out there? The, the, my guy, Patty Mills on the Spurs, if he was on the Bucks, You know, someone that you think is going to go out there and get you 20 points. Yeah, I mean, I think it becomes more pronounced um, when, uh, I mean, like, you know, we saw in, in some of the, uh, obviously, especially when guys were getting arrested, we saw, you know, probably way more of the all-bench lineups than we would have liked from, yeah. from Bud in the, the playoffs or in the bubble here. Um, so I think I think a lot of it obviously comes down to uh, you know, who's, who's playing with those guys. I think um, in some of the games where Giannis and, and Chris are playing, I thought Bud did a nice job um, and maybe not in that first game, but I, I think in the, as the bubble wore on, I think we saw more kind of blatant staggering of those two guys. Um, and obviously I think that's really critical um, that you make sure that if Giannis is on the bench, that you get Chris out there with that second unit um, and then obviously it's going to be easier to do that as you stretch those guys out to longer minutes, right? Um, if you're playing both guys 30 minutes, it's pretty, it's pretty hard to, to keep all of them, you know, both of them on the court, one of them on the court at all times when they're only playing 30 minutes and obviously they're starting first and third quarters together and they're, you know, finishing the game if, if, uh, if needed, uh, in that scenario. So, um, so my hope is that, you know, I, I definitely, I mean, I've never been someone who likes seeing all bench lineups regardless of the team. Uh, I think you gotta, I think staggering your best players is generally the way to go, but especially with this Bucks team, I mean, Chris's number, I think what Chris is per 36 numbers without Giannis. I think I saw somebody post, he's putting up like 31 points per 36 minutes without Giannis on the floor this year. Um, he was great last year as well in that role. Um, so again, like do you want to go against, you know, the top defense in the league, uh, you know, in crunch time without Giannis and just Chris, of course not. Right. But um, for kind of random spurts, uh, especially where the other team has got mixed units in as well. 
Um, I think that's obviously something that's important is making sure that you don't have, uh, you know, lineups bereft of shot creation. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I mean, and I think that's also why George Hill is really important too, right? Because he's a guy that um, last year, obviously, especially against Boston and at times against Toronto, you know, his shot making kind of sneaky ability to still get to the rim. Um, even at, you know, his age, he's still plays like pretty athletically. We saw a pretty nice dunk from him a couple games ago as well, which was nice to see. So, yeah. um, so yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you'd feel probably a little better if there was sort of a, you know, typical bucket getter that, you know, sort of was around in that second unit, but, um, you know, they, they kind of know who they are and they have their style. And, um, I think, you know, again, I, I it's, it's kind of funny. I mean, to me, the, the net takeaway, I mean, the Bucks offense wasn't really the, 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 the really the red flag to me of, of the bubble. To me, the, the red flag was really more the defense and the fact that, um, you know, we saw them, uh, I think they were, you know, pretty middle of the pack to, to, to worse um, defensively when obviously at all season long, they'd been tops in the league by, by a wide margin. So um I think that to me, that's kind of where the identity of this team is, right? It's still that this is a defense first team. And then you just ride, you know, Giannis and, and the infrastructure around him and Chris and, and those guys. But, um, but yeah, I, uh, I, I, you know, it's worked so far. I think it worked to a large extent last year, obviously this year you don't have Brogdon. So you have one, one fewer kind of cog in the wheel, uh, who can, you know, at times kind of create some shots, but, uh, yeah, I, I think that's certainly, especially if you end up having to play like the Raptors in the East Finals or something like that. Um, I think that shot creation question is probably going to come up because, again, the Raptors can probably do more defensively than certainly, you know, certainly the Orlando Magic. Well, I think the Nets can. Uh, I think the Nets can take the Raptors to six. I'm calling that. Uh, that's 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 my early prediction in the first round. Uh, I, I think my answer to that would be that yes, it's going to be by committee, as we sort of said. You might also get Dante's the guy I didn't mention. He's going to be an X factor. I think the biggest thing offensively that uh, I've seen that should give Bucks fans plenty of optimism. We've touched on him a lot, but Brook Lopez, he became in the bubble that third 20-point guy. So I, I think typically under Bud, Brook has been basically a guy that's been just camped out on the perimeter and you're like, well, if he shoots well and he hits five threes, you might get 15 to 18 points from Brook. That would be a bonus. Uh, he definitely was getting up more two-point attempts. He was getting to the free throw line more, which you know, by sort of whether it was by design, whether it was by... Um, I guess the way the matchups panned out and the unexpected absence of Bledsoe, I don't know, but it feels like a huge positive because then if Eric, if Eric Bledsoe becomes your fourth scorer and he's a guy that we know is kind of streaky, but he can have a night where he can get you 30, then all of a sudden um, you have four guys that are like, okay, on any given night, maybe we'll get 20 from these guys. You know you're going to get the, the 30 from Giannis and probably the 20 from Chris. But Brook and Bled... Um, you know, offensively, particularly if they're pushing those minutes up to the mid-30s as well, then I think you can get away with it, as you sort of said, as you stagger the lineups. I did just want to give some mention and some credit to the G League MVP as well, Frank Mason, the last couple of games. Uh, This guy actually is an NBA player. We all know that. Uh, But you see him when he's out there. There's some limitations defensively. Obviously, he's a smaller guy. Uh, But he he can run an offense and he can play some up-tempo basketball and he can get a bucket. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I mean, I remember going back to training camp and Bledsoe getting hurt late in the preseason and thinking mm. that, oh, well, I guess Frank Mason actually is going to get get a little bit of run, right? Because yeah. the Bucks had 
literally only two point guards on the roster. And then that did not happen. <laughs> and, uh, you know, start, starter Dante uh, proved to have enough uh, on both ends that, you, you know, in the shot creation around him, that you didn't really need a typical point guard as a starter. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was nice to see Frank Mason, I think, look like the guy that you kind of hoped Frank Mason could be. Um, and obviously just, the, you know, his ability as a shot maker is just, you know, something, I mean, it's, he has legitimate NBA skill in that regard. I think his lack of size and, you know, explosion obviously is definitely a, a limiting factor, but I think offensively at least, um, you know, he's, uh, he's figured out how to compensate pretty well for that. Uh, defensively, I think, you know, especially when you're used to watching Bledsoe, uh, and the power and physicality yeah. that he can play with, uh, you know, seeing Frank Mason's a bit of a, a uh, bit of a letdown, but, um, I don't know. I mean, again, uh, you know, I was going to ask you about this cause, um, I certainly don't expect to see Frank Mason playing playoff minutes, but, um, you know, speaking of kind of the point guard, uh, the value of the point guard position, I mean, Brooke Lopez, uh, really kind of breaking out here in Orlando, um, you know, really uh, validating all those Disney jokes and, you know, sort of uh, <laughs> wink, wink type things that we've been doing. Uh, I mean, it's wild. It's, it really is. He really does seem to be at home uh, where he has his home on, on the Orlando or on the, the Disney, you know, resort property or whatever. Um, do you feel better if, if I gave you the, if I told you Brooke Lopez was going to play at an extremely high level offensively and his three point shot would, you know, return to a large extent and he'd be you know, playing well in the post and basically looking like an ideal version of Brooke Lopez for this team on both ends or, and, and Bledsoe would be a big question mark. You know, basically if I could t- say you get what we saw hmm. or you get maybe 29% Brooke Lopez shooting threes, still great defense, but you know, not a big part of the offense and not hitting threes consistently but Bledsoe is playing better uh, and more of the kind of Bledsoe, regular season Bledsoe that we've seen in previous years. Which version of that would you rather have moving forward in the playoffs? Like, do you, is, there, is there one of those that seems more appealing or more important to have than the other? I think, Brooke, um, I, I mostly say that because I think that you would still get a level of Eric Bledsoe defense even if offensively he was kind of trash. But Brooke Lopez, I, th- I think if, if it was just him shooting threes and he did nothing else, but he was just shooting 43% from three, then I'd probably still lean Bledsoe and say uh, having his offensive punch is going to be more important rather than Brooke just shooting threes. But I think we saw so much to feel optimistic about with Giannis off the floor and having the ability to say, hey, Brooke, go back four years, go in the post, get those twos up, get to the free throw line, uh, get those little hawks, get easy baskets, dunks. I thought we saw more dunks from Brooke Lopez in the bubble than we saw all season. I don't know if that's a fact. That just It's just what it feels like. So I think the, the versatility and the different looks you get with Brooke Lopez, I, I think, are, are huge for this offense. And I think it's something that we've always wondered whether they could lean more heavily on. And I, I, that's why I think I'm, I'm feeling so good about that. So maybe Brooke, but I don't know. Am I, am I uh, just drinking the, the Lopez Kool-Aid a little bit too much here? What do you think? I mean, we've, I mean, we sort of saw it in the East Finals. Like, I thought Brooke was actually very good. I mean, he game one. basically I mean, he won. won. Yeah. yeah, game one, he, he kind of won in that game. And then, you know, I thought he stepped up in, in some of the – when they were losing, I thought he stepped up much more than a lot of other guys. I mean, like, 
game six, I thought he played really well and kind of bailed the Bucks out at times. Um, so I, I actually lean back to Bledsoe yeah. just because, um, I mean, if Bledsoe, just cause he has the, just cause his, his yips are so well known and the idea of, you know, him being out there in an East finals game in a finals game, whatever. And the other team basically deciding that they're not going to defend him at the three point line. Um, that's just such a killer. Uh, and you can argue, mm-hmm. well, if, Brooke isn't making threes and you don't have to defend Brooke. But I, I just feel like, you know, again, like Brooke, you can, you can go down in the post and, um, you know, he, he at least still, ha- I think has a degree of credibility as a three point shooter. Whereas, you know, blood. So I think people might be more daring and in, in sort of just saying, you know what, go ahead, knock yourself out. Um, and that just really scares me just, you know, from what we saw last year. So I, I would probably say, you know, Bledsoe being pretty good offensively is more important than, than Brooke being good offensively. Um, but, but I, I don't know. Right. I mean, I obviously hope both guys uh, play well. Um, but I think for, for Bledsoe, I think uh, there's, there's just such a weird, there's that weird psychological aspect of it as well. And if, if Bledsoe is struggling and then it becomes, I mean, that's a story, you know, whereas Brooke, if Brooke has a bad playoff series shooting the ball, I mean, nobody's going to like remember it you know, two years from now or or whatever, right. Versus blood. So it's just, it's that monkey on his back to a large extent. And, uh, you know, I think certainly, I mean, if you play the Raptors in these finals, uh, or, you know, you play the Celtics in the second round, whatever, I think teams are at some point, you know, I think teams will try to, again, sort of dare him to, to beat them. And, um, and why not? Right. I mean, that's, that's understandable given, given the history he's got. So I don't know if this makes sense, but the, the way I would like try and talk through both of these options is Brook Lopez I like because it feels like what he can do is kind of a plan B that didn't feel like it was there before in terms of throwing him mm-hmm. the ball in the post, whereas yeah. Eric Bledsoe, I think, and you can see it. It's not even something that you need to look at the box score or look at these stats, but you can see it with Eric Bledsoe. When he's confident and he's locked in offensively, the whole tempo of the team, the whole tempo of the offense is on a complete different level. Because sometimes when he gets passive, he'll walk the ball up the floor, he'll just jog, and he'll just cruise into the half-court setting. When he's in aggressive mode, it changes everything. And a lot of the times, you get those semi-half-court possessions, but not uh, you're not going deep into the shot clock because he's he's penetrating and he's finding those dump-off passes. And, and it's not always scoring for him. So I, I think that Bledsoe is more of a for the for a functional offense in the way that they want to play plan A. Eric Bledsoe is really important, whereas Brook Lopez is going to provide them, hopefully, with more of a plan B when things inevitably, it's going to happen, inevitably there's going to be a stretch where things aren't going the way you want them to. Yeah, um, and it's, I don't know, it's an interesting, I'm, I'm, I'm generally very curious um, how, uh, how the, what the Bucks look like in the playoffs and how this, how their sort of identity as a team that's one with with basically a superstar plus depth. And again, that's that's probably shortchanging Chris, obviously, but right. um, but you know, a team that is you know not a uh, not as as considered as as sort of top heavy beyond Giannis as as maybe like a typical like dominant regular season team would be. Um, I, I'm just very curious. You know, is that kind of keep up and. Um, you know, also just with role players, you know, again, I think we've talked about role players. You, you probably see more of a home road split, right? With role players playing better at home 
than uh, than on the road. Superstars tend to the reason they're superstars is that they they know they they tend to play well everywhere. Um, so I, it's going to be interesting, I think, with just the lack of a home road dynamic. What does that mean? I, I don't know. Um, it, it will certainly be just something kind of interesting to watch. So, um, yeah, I mean, I would say in general, you know, on the one hand, pretty underwhelming, um, pretty underwhelming uh, bubble experience for the Bucks overall, right? Um, but, uh, you know, it's uh, no one's going to remember the bubble games um, uh, when, you know, in the years to come, it's all going to be about what happens uh, after this uh, from where we are from here on out. So, um, you know, as you alluded to, they got through seemingly healthy and Bud saying that all those guys are going to be available. So that's, that's the most important thing. And um, obviously, you know, you just hope that that good health continues and that they round in the form of it, clean up, you know, the turnovers. And I think defensively just get back to that, high level of, of effort and kind of that combination of uh, inside out pressure and, uh, and, and sharpness, right? Cause obviously that, that was something that we, we only really saw in fits and starts during this, uh, this past couple of weeks. No doubt. So Bud did point after the game to the fact, to the positive fact that they're going to get to practice over the weekend, something they haven't had to do. There's a few things, particularly defensively. He said he wants to iron out. So they got time to do that over the weekend while this play-in madness is happening, which is going to be very interesting. And I actually didn't even realize there's some, still some games tomorrow as well. So I, I completely lost track of that. I felt like, it felt like today was the last day, probably because of the craziness at the bottom of the West and just us focusing on the Bucks. But uh, still going to a couple of pods before game one. So like I said, we're going to dive more into the magic and what that matchup is going to look like. Keep an eye out over the weekend. There'll be a pod with Locked On Magic. I'll get that up there. So keep an eye out for all those, and we'll be able to dive into those a little bit more. But for now, for Frank and myself, we're glad we got through the bubble play. We're looking forward to the playoffs, albeit uh, a very strange time that these games are going to be happening. But stay safe over the weekend. Make sure you get to game one in the right mental state. And we'll speak to you guys then. 